When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Welcome to the Writer's Room. Where funny writers who sit in funny rooms and write funny words for other people finally get to talk. Here's your host, me, Jeff Cesario. All right, this is going to be fun today. Uh, this is a, uh, my guest today, uh, Frank Conniff, and I have had kind of uh, parallel tracks, uh, somewhat never, qu- not a lot of um, overlap. I can't say our paths crossed that much in work sense. But uh, our lives certainly have. And it's uh, it's just a kick to have him here. Uh, you know, him from uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000. And uh, and also he's done a ton of work out here writing and doing punch up, which is not a uh, aspect of the writer's room that we've talked a whole lot about. So this is going to be a kick. Uh, Frank Conniff. Frank, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you. Yeah. Good to see you. You look uh, great. You have uh, looked like this for as long as I can remember. I remember the first time seeing you going, that is Frank. That is exactly Frank. <laughs> You're uh, perfectly named. <laughs> well, people who've uh, seen me through the years will comment now that say you, you, you haven't, you doesn't look like you've aged. And, and the answer to that is because I always looked old. So, yeah. <laughs> right. And it's kind this is, I suppose, the only time of your life at which that would be an advantage. Because I uh, imagine when you're younger, people go, Oh, there's a there's a 50-year-old guy here. Why <laughs> why is that? <laughs> well, I was but I was now, I've, I've had gray hair since my twenties, so you know, and I never And died. is that just hereditary? It's, I Did believe you, it's now, hereditary. I, it's you know, part of um uh what i inherited um gray hair uh gout and alcoholism were all um <laughs> and depression right uh, the irish trifecta exactly <laughs> exactly <laughs> and uh now you got into comedy mm-hmm. and i have a feeling there is a uh, connection to your dad there because your dad was a newspaper guy he was. He, and, he was, and there's sort of a a um, uh, how would you call it? A, a humorous cynicism, for lack of a better uh, term, that I think all newspaper people have, or yeah. good ones, at least to me. And and your dad kind of came up in maybe there's more than one heyday for newspapers in this country, but one of the great heydays. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He my my dad was right in the thick of kind of the post World War Two, uh, New York world of newspapers and um, and and show business and politics and sports. Um, 
And uh, he was he was in the thick of all of that. And, um, you know, uh, it's 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 I you know, my dad was was on the road a lot when I was very young and then he was sick when I got older and then he died when I was 14. So I didn't get to know him that well, but I've always been fascinated by the by the world that he that he uh his his work world is is something very fascinating to me that, that it is of, what of the, it appears to be the in the movies new york world you know yeah it actually is you know you see it in the movies in some of these great newspaper uh, movies uh the, the comedies and the hard-boiled film noirs from right. the 40s 50s and 60s you you see it and you go that's actually fairly accurate <laughs> of what yeah. Of how those guys, and it was mostly guys, how those how those newspaper people lived. Yes. You know, they drank hard. They talked politics and sports. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. And then showbiz came in like a river in their lives. And it was oh, just, yeah. it, it was kind of that life. My dad used to hang out at a famous in its time restaurant called Touch Shores. Um and uh, Toots Shore himself was my uncle Toots. He was a close family friend. And wow, uh, <laughs> so great. my dad, my dad hung out there with with everybody: uh, uh, Jackie Gleason and uh, Joe DiMaggio, and um, wow, you know, just everyone from every Frank Sinatra. Like they all converged there, and and my dad was part of like the, um, you know. The, the core group of 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 people who hung out there and 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 drank themselves silly <laughs> right know? but but that was a job requirement it was yeah it absolutely was you know in virtually any facet of uh-huh. of, of what we've been talking about so i think that runs in, you know in your genes as much as the white hair uh <laughs> and, and that may have propelled you. There was this, there was also, I feel a similar quality to, uh, it's not, I don't think it's uncommon, but I do think both you and I got bitten by the tonight show bug. Absolutely. When, when we were kids yeah, watching and just going, Oh my God, the comics on here mm, yeah. are loose and Funny and what a cool way to live a life. Absolutely. It, it, it looked like a party, you know, where they were, yeah. <laughs> where they were hanging out and Don Rickles was cracking Johnny up and, you know, and other people were, and, and, you know, George Carlin, who I loved George Carlin before, way before he became political. And right. I loved him and I loved him in all phases of his career. But but I loved him in that early phase, the hippy dippy weatherman and wonderful sure. Winehouse and all that. He was so silly and so funny. And um, yeah, I was completely uh, enamored of that of of that. And I think for a lot of us, you and me, and a lot of comedians, like the Tonight Show was just a window into that world that we otherwise wouldn't have had as much. Yeah, it's almost the perfect glimpse. You know, it's not long enough to see the pitfalls or the difficulty of the road. Mm-hmm. It's just long enough to go, wow, that guy just looked really cool for six minutes. And now he's yeah. going to go sit down. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. 
What does it take to do that? <laughs> exactly. But you know, when I was, I remember because I watched so many of those shows when I was a kid and I watched the Tonight Show, but I also watched the Dick Cavett show and, uh, you know, and the Merv Griffin show and the the Mike Douglas show. I watched every afternoon uh, after yeah. school. It was on 430 in New York. And um, uh, I do remember, you know, and I already had the idea that I wanted to be a comedian one day. And but I remember hearing a, a lot of comedians talk about how they bombed a lot when they started out. So I kind of kind of knew that that was a thing. And I was kind of dreading it as something that might happen to me. But luckily, it never happened. No, I'm kidding. It happened all, <laughs> happened all the time. But, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, it was just fascinating to watch all those shows. Yeah, you you mentioned a really interesting facet of that, the daytime talks back then, uh, Merv Griffin yeah. and Mike Douglas especially, um, could get in a way just as as special and lunatic as the Tonight Show could get. Oh yeah. If you watch the Mike Douglas show now, it you know, at the time it was kind of considered like, you know, the, the like cheesy or whatever. But if you watch it now, like like the guests for one thing are amazing and they're having like real conversations on it. And they're, and they're, they're not segment produced, you know, the way everything is now where every moment in each right. segment is planned out, uh, like they're having conversations, you know, and yeah. uh, there know. isn't a lot of cards uh, no. that people are reading off of to make sure they get the plugs and the anecdote right, about right. vacation. Right. They just kind of sent them out there mm-hmm. uh, and let them run wild on the prairie. Yeah. Yeah. That was cool. That's a great point. And you would get that eclectic, you know, it'd be like Lola Falana and Dick right. Gregory. And you would go, what? Why? <laughs> I know. You know, and then Robert Wool would come out as a 19-year-old comic, and you would yeah. go, what is going on That's where here? I saw all those people. Uh, the, uh, one of the great comics of that era in the 70s was Ed Ed Bluestein. Oh, yeah. You know, just hilarious. Right. So, so you're right. You'd see these old show business people, but you'd see these younger, hipper people. Robert Klein was, was, right. was a big part of that. You know, he was really the new on those shows really represented the new, the new wave of comedy. And, and, you know, he was great. Yeah. I remember seeing John Biner on those yeah. shows mm-hmm. and uh, Elaine Boozler is a really oh. young comic on those. Right. That's where all the, a lot of those comics got some footing before they went to try the tonight show. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, w- I would see every, the ACE trucking company, you know, just, Oh like, Yeah. Great, my great, God, uh, yeah, the committee. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God, that was so great. Those were great improv troops that wound up feeding the first batch and the second batch of sitcoms with character actors. Oh, yeah. And feeding even National Lampoon Radio Hour, which then became essentially SNL. Yeah. Uh, you know, between... Uh, Second City TV and National Lampoon, they cobbled together the first yeah, and, and second and, SNL lineups. And just had a seismic influence on my sensibility of what I thought was funny and, and the kind of comedy that I wanted to do. You know? Did you sense even then a natural muscle in you? I kind of 
knew that I had maybe an affinity for that. Uh huh. You know, well, if I, I had know, had I... testing back then, I think I think I may have tested higher for that than certainly for athletics or anything. Same here. Well, I, you know, I was funny at school, you know, I mean, I, I made, I was known as, as the funny kid in, in class and I, and I made, I made people laugh a lot. And, and so it, it was just, um, it was just a thought I had very early on that this could not just being a uh, comedian, but, you know, watching the Dick Van Dyke show and, and, and getting the idea that there was this job called comedy writer TV comedy writer. That was a job, you know? Right. So that was very ingrained in my brain back then. And, um, uh, uh, so yeah, I, I was, uh, I did think that I had a natural ability, but, but when I first started doing standup though, you wouldn't have known that I had a natural ability for it. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's the classic, you can make your friends and classmates laugh, but can you right. figure out a way to translate that yeah. to make strangers mm-hmm. laugh? Yeah. Uh, but but you had an interesting, uh, you know, couple of first rocks crossing the river here. Uh, you know, you started stand-up, but you were also, look, many of us were, uh, you know, kind of a stoner, kind of just kind of hanging out, kind of trying to figure out what life may throw you right without necessarily having an agenda mm-hmm. of any sort. I, I look now and I see kids getting internships and all that kind of stuff when they're juniors in high school, let alone college, you know? And, and I remember like getting to college and thinking, wow, what is that? I missed <laughs> that whole thing. Yeah. It was a pathway you might've been able to plan. <laughs> I know. And it's, it's, it's interesting because when I, when I moved to LA, um, and I met, you know, uh, other comedy writers on, you know, on Sabrina, the teenage witch or the Drew Carey show, or some of the places I work, uh, you know, I would meet people who, who started as interns and then became writer's assistants and then became writers. And I, before then I had no idea that that was a path that, that you could go. No, you know, it, it, it was, it was a complete, it was complete news to me. That, that someone could, could forge that path to a writing career, you know, but, but, but those yeah. other people were more sensible than I was, you know? Yeah. But, but at the same time to, to have put that time into consciously or subconsciously learning how to craft a joke uh-huh. was probably just as valuable. Oh Yeah. Uh, there was more luck involved maybe when we, when we got out here and got to this stage, but to be able to craft a joke and have someone else who's funny recognize that you knew how to write a joke. Yeah. Could be intensely important. And just to have experience with an audience, you know, is, is very extremely valuable and it just gives you an instinct even like when you're writing a script, it gives you an instinct for it. Well, I think people will think this is funny, you know, because you've, yeah. you've had the experience of thinking something will be funny and then it not getting a laugh and then, and then, you know, getting a laugh with something. And, and so, and so you, 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 you kind of have a background in that, you know, and you, and you have, and, and there's, as you know, there's no 100% sure way to know when you're writing, but, but you kind of have a bit of an instinct for it. 
Yeah, that's the word for it. You create an instinctive measuring stick uh-huh. that's not that conscious. Mm-hmm. It is yeah. just the muscle in you that goes, oh, that's going to work. Or mm-hmm. I'll try this, see if there's something right. there. Or I think there's something there. Or this is obscure, but I'm going to try it anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, and and you're right. That muscle can translate to the writer's room. You get to the writer's room through a really interesting route, which is you have substance abuse that uh-huh. you're dealing with. And you wind up going to rehab and Minnesota, that's, it's kind of the, uh, you know, there's a state bird and a state flower. It's kind of the state occupation in Minnesota is, is, <laughs> is. is a rehab center. They're very land, good. Land of, ten, land of 10,000 rehab centers. Right, right. <laughs> so you come, you're out of uh-huh. New York, you have an intervention, family has an intervention. Right. And you are wise enough to realize your family's right yeah and it's just time i was i yeah i i i knew that it was time and um i got sent to uh, minnesota had no uh thoughts of minneapolis or minnesota ever in my life except watching the mary tyler moore show um and uh and so i go there and um and i'm in rehab and uh, and then i'm in a halfway house and and I'm you know um, I'm liking the new me you know saying this is kind of a better way to live but for right. me personally a better way to live is to live a, a sober life um, and then I I I get out of the halfway house and 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 I'm in Minneapolis and I'm just living there because I didn't want to go back to New York because that's where all the trouble I got into was yeah. that's where all the places. There was uh, uh, Minneapolis was a completely fresh start with no, no history of me or anything. And, and it just felt like it was the healthy thing for me to do to, was to stay there. And then, um, you know, uh, but I'm but I'm worried about going to clubs. I'm worried about alcohol, being around alcohol. And but then, as you know, there was a club there. Um, uh, it was called the Comedy Cabaret when you were living there, but now it was called the Ha Ha Club, and it was it was alcohol free, so it was kind of like a perfect place for me to go and start start doing comedy. That's impressive on a couple of levels. The first is that you recognize that it's time uh-huh. that you you have enough self awareness to go. Well, this other model of living is somewhat unsustainable yes Uh (laughs) but i don't think that's an awareness that that many people have what do you think was in you that said all right i gotta cut the shit and get to it well well for me um and and you and i have both known people in comedy and in show business who managed who have careers while they have substance abuse issues and they run into problems with it, but they manage to have successes and stuff. And they, and they manage to be in the game uh, while they're doing all that stuff. But I, but I, I really felt I was a person, unless I stopped the substance abuse, there was no achieving my dreams, you know, like right. none of the dreams that I had of being a comedian and being in show business uh, and being a writer, none of it would come true if I kept using that. That's really, I knew that that was what was holding me back. That was preventing anything 
from happening, you know? So yeah. I think that, that was, that was a big part of it, you know? And, and when yeah, was, so, so like the, the dream uh-huh. of comedy of right. having a career in this field that was so attractive to you as a kid, uh, right. Over trumped the, the desire to get high. You just get high and, and think that that was, uh, a fun way to live, which it, it, it was at first, it, you know, for years it hadn't been, but, yeah. uh, um, so yeah, so, so that was like a, a, a big motivator for me was that, it, that I can only make this happen if, if I, if I stay clean and sober and, uh, and I was and Minneapolis was the perfect place to do that. Um, and then when I, <clears throat> I finally went from, uh, I just did uh, the Haha ha Club for a few months, and I was still worried about being around alcohol. But then I finally just realized I had to uh, take the next step. So I went to open mic night at the Comedy Gallery, and you know, uh, and and it was amazing because <clears throat> uh, you know people there. I like I that was I met Paul Dillery that first night, you know, sure. and, and and like. It's a great uh, Minneapolis Paul, comic. That was yeah, an interesting and, and, and Paul scene. Williams, another really funny guy, great guy, was there that night. And and I met them and I met some other and people were so welcoming to me and were so like encouraging me to come back, you know, and and to and to perform again. So uh, I just took that in my 12-step spirituality that this is like the universe telling me it's okay to come here, it's okay to do this, you know. Yeah, that would that's that was, and I think still is, mm-hmm. uh, one of the great regional scenes in the country. Yeah, uh, and, and and it was partially because it was in Minneapolis, mm-hmm. uh, which you know they tend to have bright crowds. Any crowd's going to get the edge rolled off when they start drinking too much. But baseline, uh, you know, they were really good crowds. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And a good uh, comedy community that, you know, I was sort of in that first wave with Louis Anderson and Scott Hansen right. and, and, um, and Gary Johnson and, and, um, yeah, I, one of my first times on the road was with Gary Johnson, who was just a great joke writer. Great guy. Yeah. Yeah. Great guy and a great joke writer. Uh-huh. There were so many good comics, Alex Cole uh-huh. and Billy Bauer. And, yeah. and, and then a second generation came in with you and Liz and Joel Hodgson and, mm. and, uh, competitive, but I never felt like, like you could when you went into another scene where you're like, Ooh, you'd, you'd walk into a yeah. club in Chicago, maybe, or someplace else. And you go, Ooh, the vibe is here. It's, <laughs> Yeah, the vibe in Minneapolis was great, and and it's actually one of the things that um, uh, that that I didn't dream about when I was a kid, but turned out to being one of my favorite things about doing what we do is is the community is is the community of other comedians and the friendship and and Minneapolis, uh, you know, I had this uh, great community of comedians. I made I made so many great friends. You know, and then when I moved to L.A., I, I found a community there of, yeah. of friends and other comedians. And then when I moved back to New York, where I am now, uh, uh, once again, I, I found a bunch of, of people and, and a, a sense of community 
the sense of being part of something great and 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 that's that's been maybe the best thing about this whole journey that's interesting that you say that i've touched on it occasionally on the podcast here um but new york was far more comfortable for me than almost anywhere else uh-huh. possible exception of minneapolis and i never lived in new york right i, I even to do comedy i would just visit there mm-hmm. and the uh veneer that any stand-up can have every comic has sort of a public persona and then a private persona. And I think when I first moved out here, it came across as uh, maybe standoffishness or sometimes mm-hmm. even anger, but right. when, you know, but it's, it was, it was mind boggling shyness. <laughs> so <there was>. uh-huh. <laughs> and, and when I went to New York, it was like, Oh yeah, that guy's just mind-bogglingly shy. You know, they like knew instantly right. the other comics, uh-huh. and it was never a thing. And then I could just kind of be myself and out in the right. bar, in the club, wherever whatever yeah. was going on. It felt really natural to me there. Mm-hmm. Um now you you are in Minneapolis, you're trying stand-up, you've cleaned up, you're sober now, you're thinking to yourself. Oh, all right. Now I've got the baseline where I can go try this dream of mine. You start doing stand up. Before we get into MST3K, what kind of stand up are you doing? Well, at, at first, I, I was uh, I was doing kind of a conceptual kind of bits. Um, I guess you'd call them like a weird uh, kind of offbeat um things no no jokes or i mean they had jokes but i wasn't it's it's really this is really interesting to me too is that when i started doing stand-up in in new york when i was still using at first and 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 in new york i was very influenced by all the pot i was smoking so i was doing these really weird bits on stage but but when i started out like like i knew i had a a a a, a talent for comedy, but I, I didn't think joke writing was my talent. Like I, I didn't think that, that that was my thing. And now all these years later, like I'm known as a really good joke writer, you know? Right. And, and it, it turns, it, it, it turned out to be a talent I really did have, but it, it it's just interesting that, it, that, that I had it in my brain back then that I, that, that it, that it wasn't my natural gift, but yeah, so that's I, interesting. It may have been uh-huh. your brain just saying, you know, leave it in a pottery kiln for for a, a, a couple more months or years, yeah. and then it just bubbles up, kind of yeah. half formed. I really believe in that. I think the brain works on stuff, you know, when you don't think it is. So, when so I like, was, what could give, give me a conceptual bit if you can remember any? Well, what was I the did kind of stuff you were doing. I, I did a lot of stuff with with music that I had on a boombox. I did. Um, That's great. Um, I did. Um, I did a bit, a bit about the book War and Peace, where I sang this song <laughs> called War and Peace is a darn good book. Um, uh, I did a um, uh, a thing that was um, uh, uh, that I did using Stravinsky's Firebird Suite music. Um, it was a bit about it called how many times how many times has frank conniff seen the grateful dead <laughs> which 
<laughs> you know, I don't know if I could explain it beyond that, but it was well, just that's... kind of weird, stoned out kinds of things. And um, and I kept doing them for a while. But in Minneapolis, though, it 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 it, it occurred to me. Uh, and I think other comics like said, you know what, do stuff from your own life, you know. Uh, uh-huh. and, and then when I then that's when I started talking about being a recovering alcoholic and being in rehab and 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 living in Minnesota and you know stuff that was like personal and right. uh, and and I kind of transitioned for that while while trying to maintain at least some of if I came up with a weird bit that I would do it, you know. Yeah. Well, you got you got to keep both tracks going. Yeah. How do you how do you connect with the mystery science folks? Well, that was. Um, Did they see you and go? Yeah, I was. Well, I mean, I met um, uh, Mike Nelson, who became the head writer at Mystery Science Theater, um, and Bridget Jones, who he he, he ended up marrying. Were both comedians who I met um, at an open mic that I ran. They they were open mic acts, and uh, and I thought they were both really funny, and so we developed a friendship. and And I and I met Trace Bilyeu, uh just doing just doing comedy around town. He was another comedian, and and he did improv too. And and I met him, and you know we were all kind of just kindred spirits in our sensibilities and and i and i met joel back then too because joel hodgson had moved back to minneapolis from la he'd already been on snl and letterman and it already he was the hottest thing in right, comedy right. and then he stepped he stepped back from it um and, and moved back to minnesota so so i met uh uh, I met him back then, although like Trace and Mike and Bridget were more my like core group of friends that I that I hung out with. And so when they they so when Joel started doing Mystery Science Theater on a UHF station in Minneapolis, um, he did it there with Josh Weinstein, our mutual friend, the brilliant Josh Weinstein. Hilarious. And and uh, um uh, they did that, and then Josh. Uh, they did the show for a year on the Comedy Channel, which it was called back then. Right. And then Josh left the show, and then for the second season, they needed a replacement. And I, I was on the road in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and I got a call from uh, Mike Nelson saying we got picked up for a second season and we need someone. Do you do you want to come on board? And and that that was all there was to it. You know, that may be the best thing. That's ever happened on a phone call in Grand Forks. <laughs> or maybe you know, Grand any Forks. Any Midwest comic worth his salt has probably done that gig or similar. Yes. Just sat in the hotel the West, room. The Westward Ho. Yeah. And nothing happened. But you actually got a call. <laughs> I actually got a call. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm 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 not really the kind of guy that can impart uh wisdom to younger uh, uh, comedians or younger writers about a uh, career path because I can't say, well, you know, the thing to do is develop a drug problem <laughs> and then get sent to the Midwest from a big city like New York, get sent to the Midwest and then get on a TV show there. I mean, that's what happened to me. And it's it's maybe the only time that's ever happened in, in showbiz history. Well, serendipity plays a role. Uh, if yeah, you let absolutely. it in everybody's uh yeah everybody's career and everybody's life that is 
That is pretty cool. Before we leave the Midwest, what is that writer's room like? You've Mm -hmm. got connections to, and again, such an invaluable little part of the story, but really important. These are, you know, you're running an open mic. You've been at it. Who knows how many months maybe. Uh And, and these are two open micers. And yet this becomes a, a core group, Uh uh, you know, that moves on, you know, we would call it networking, I guess. Right. But it's kind of more primal than that. Yeah. I mean, I've never, you know, I mean, I understand the importance of networking. I don't think I've ever networked in my life. What I've done is I've made friends with people just naturally. Um, and then I've gotten I've gotten jobs, not just Mystery Science Theater. I've gotten other jobs that way of just because I knew someone that I was friends with. And then they thought of me because uh, there was an opening. And, um, you know, that's uh, like I've never gone to a... I've never handed my car to anyone in a, in a business center or anything like, you know, like you're supposed to do. It's just, I, I don't know if that works. Maybe it does, but. It's, you seem like a heady fellow. Here's my card, Frank yeah, Cattle. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. I know what you mean. You're, you're, it's, it's on a more basic level. You're connecting uh, sort of as a human, attempting right. to connect as a friend. And then if that sparks, those people r- remember you. So what's this room like? You're in a room for a, a crazy concept of a show, especially at the time, which right. is to essentially heckle and catcall uh, bad movies. Right. Uh, and, and then there's a reality built around that mm. of being adrift in space. Um, mm. So now that's all set, but you still got to go in a room. <laughs> With people and write it. <laughs> yeah, well, the 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 writing of it was uh, was 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 very fun, and I didn't realize it at the time because it was my first TV show. I didn't realize how unique an experience of television writing that it was. Uh, mainly just in the sense that we got very, we got almost no network notes ever. We got no interference from Comedy Central. Uh, we didn't have to, uh, if we submitted something like legal looked at it or something like, you know, we didn't get, that wasn't like a weekly thing where the development executives would call us with their notes that never had. I didn't realize how unusual that was yeah. back then and, and, and how great it was, you know? And uh, so it was really just, I used to say that, you know, being a mystery science theater, it, it 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 was more like being in a being in a band than 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 working on a TV show. You know, um, it it just had that kind of feeling to it, and uh, um, so it was just you know us in the writers' room every day. Some days we just watched the movies and riffed on them, and then wrote all the riffs down, and uh, and then other days we wrote sketches, and it was really just mainly a bunch of people with very similar sensibilities, everybody on the same page in terms of what we thought was funny. And, you know, we all kind of, you know, uh, uh, parallel to each other, living in different parts of the country growing up. We were all listening to this, you know, we were all 
Frank Zappa heads. We were all listening to the same music. We were all watching the same movies. Yeah. The, the same, the things that you were just talking about, like SCTV and, and all those great comedians, Carlin, all, we were all being influenced by all of that at the same time. Um, and so we were just ended up in a, in a, in a room together. So, so it was, it was just, it was pretty, it was easy. It was fun. It was long hours and, and, you know, um, some frustrations, but mainly it was just, it was just a blast, you know? Did you watch a movie more than once? Would you go through it a second? Yeah, we watch it. Uh, one, we, we spend one day riffing the movie start to finish. Then the next day we'd write sketches. And then the next day after that, we'd come back and, um, and do a second pass at the movie. And then myself, and uh, Mary Jo Peel and this other writer, Paul Chaplin, we would each take a section of the script and we'd go off and and edit it and assign the lines to the various characters and, and pick the jokes that we thought were best. And then we'd call it all together and have a, um, uh, a read-through of it. And, and in, in the read-through and the rehearsal, more stuff in the script would change, uh, you know, up until the point where we filmed it. And then and sometimes even in editing, they would, you know, they would put in new lines and stuff. Uh, so, right. So the writing process went went through the whole, you know, start to first day of writing the movie all the way up to editing it. And the writing process was always happening. Such a dedication to um, a process that appears uh, completely uh, off the top of your heads. Yeah, I mean it's it's a compliment that people think we're just uh actually with, riffing. Yeah, but you know that's the same thing I think uh with comedians. I mean, I I know you're like such a devoted craftsman to to your stand up and 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 wording it just right and working it and reworking it and then when you get up on stage uh, people think you're just saying funny shit off the top of your head and that's how it's supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really how I want it. Yeah. 